Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Do you know that if you'll elevate your thinking, that you'll make more money? Is anybody interested in that? Do you know that if you elevate your thinking, you can have a better marriage? You know if you elevate your thinking, everything in your world will change for the better? So get ready, get set, let's grow. Come on. All right. Greet somebody. Tell them they're looking good. You're glad they're here. We want to also just welcome our McKinney campus. Give them a big hand. And if you're in the McKinney area, we invite you to join us and uh, be a part of that. So we're so grateful and excited about uh, you guys and what's happening there. So let's reach McKinney, Frisco, and the uttermost parts of the earth, Dubai. Okay. You ever been to Dubai? Who's been to Dubai before? Let's go there. Let's reach them. Start to Elevate Life Church. It'll be awesome. Okay. We're in our Pillars series. And uh, let me just say again that pillars are the things that uphold very important things. So I mentioned last week, and Scott, you weren't here, I don't think. I think you were out playing or doing something. I was calling for you every service, and I don't know what you were doing, but you were gone. But I, I think I told him, on this, this cathedral is we had, to, we had to not only dig 37 feet down in the earth, but then we put pillars just to uphold this structure. How many pillars? It was, it was more than, because I thought it was like 137 or something. But, but there were, what, this big around? What is that? Six feet in diameter, 30 feet down. And pillars are important. And especially when there's dirt like this in Frisco, Texas. And pillars are important, especially when there's dirt like there is in the world. And that's why we're talking about this, the things that matter most. So uh, real quick, just want <clears throat> to say, so glad you're here today. We're honored to always have you. We're honored that you watch. And we hope after my message last week that you'll be here if you're in the area. I want to talk to you today about God's great commission, our great assignment. The big thought for the message, and the ushers are holding up $1,500 checks with a pen if you want one. Uh, actually, they're holding up notes that are way more valuable than that. But the big thought for the message is God's great commission Jesus gave to us is the greatest life assignment that he has for us. God's great commission that Jesus gave to us is the greatest life assignment that he has for us. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. These are some of the last words, the last coaching instructions, the last savior directions, the last king of kings and lord of lords words that he spoke that were very important. Jesus came and he spoke to them, who? His disciples, his followers. And he started the conversation this way. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's like a parent who sits down with a child and establishes right up front, I'm your daddy and I'm telling you, we're going to have a talk. Or I'm your mama, we're going to have a talk. In other words, he, he establishes that all authority, he, he prefaces this conversation that all authority, everybody say all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it up on the, the screens, guys. I want you to go, next verse, and I want you to get a good education. 
I want you to go and find the person you're supposed to marry. Just leave it up there because I don't know if you're seeing this. I want you to go and, and get a good job. I want you to go and make a lot of money. I want you to go and, and make sure you throw in a few vacations as you go. I want you to go and try to be happy. I want you to go and try to find fulfillment. I want you to go because all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And I want you to go and just try to have the best life you can have. I want you to go. And as you go, your greatest life assignment is not to find out who you're going to marry. Your greatest life assignment is not to align your gifts, your talents, and your competencies with your passion and, and start a company. Your greatest assignment in life is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he says, and teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, by the way, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so these are some of the final instructions that Jesus gave. And he prefaces everything by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's all authority, has been given to me. Now I'm going to commission you. I'm going to commission you. What does the word commission mean? I don't just want you to go and make disciples. I don't just want you to go and baptize them. I don't just want you to go into every nation. I just don't want you to go and teach them to observe all things. But I want you to go, watch this now, in all of my authority to do that. Let me tell you what most of us are lacking in our life. Authority. You see, when you have authority, you're not going to have a money problem. Because you're going to be able to fix your money problem. When you have authority, you don't have a career problem. When you have authority, you don't have a relationship problem. When you have authority, you don't have a family problem. You see, when you have authority, Jesus said, all the authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Now, here's what I want you to do with it. I'm commissioning you. It's a great commission. In fact, it's your greatest life assignment that you'll ever have. And here's what commission means. A group of people who have been formally chosen and given the authority to get information about a problem so that they can perform the special duties that solve that problem. That must have been heaven that just amened me on that. In other words, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and here's what your challenge is going to be, to be focused your whole life on the wrong things. To be focused on your job assignment, to be focused on your marriage assignment, to be focused on your money assignment. To be focused on your house assignment. To be focused on all these things, yet, yet I want to give you a secret today. Just, just I want to give you the spoiler for this message. If I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, if I'm a Christian, which means to be Christ-like, then Jesus said, I didn't die just so you would believe in me and your life would be happy. But I died so you could be a part of my family. I didn't just die so you'd believe, but that you would belong. And in belonging, you would know how special and how valuable that is. And you would make disciples and bring people into the family. 
In other words, your most important, your greatest life assignment is based on a commission that you've been given by God, announced by Jesus Christ to go and everywhere you go, make disciples. Make disciples by living your life in such a way that people see you. And the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, that your light so shines that they glorify God in heaven. In other words, that your life, and we're going to get to this, but you live your life in such a way to be the best you that you can be for the glory of God. And in the process, you're not trying to get people to follow you. You just create followable excellence by the way you live your life. So our great assignment. Did you know that there was a survey taken by researcher George Barna and he discovered that half, over half, of U.S. churchgoers, a staggering 51%, had never heard of the Great Commission. They don't even know what that term means. And among those who had heard the term, only 17% were familiar with the Bible passage that I just read you. Now, I can tell you, I grew up in church, y'all. And here was my thought processes as a teenager. I wanted to find a girlfriend. I grew up in church. I, I, I loved God. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to be the person that God wanted me to be. But I'm thinking, man, I, you know, I'm going to get me a girlfriend, and someday I'm going to get married. And then my next kind of thought process, after I checked that box called Sheila, <laughs> precious, is i got to get me an education because I'm going to give me a good job, eagle. So I go, to, I go to college. I get me a degree. Sheila graduated cum assume lottery. I can't even say it. <laughs> she walked across the stage with the golden cord. When I walked across the stage, everybody stood up and went, that's amazing. That's a miracle. That's a he, he. Anyway, you've heard the story. She graduated with an elementary education degree and learning disabilities. She changed her major when she knew she was going to marry me. So it's helped a lot. But what was I thinking about? My first house I was going to get... Now, I'm a believer. My job I'm going to get, how much money I'm going to make, what kind of career path I'm going to have, just normal thinking, right? How we all think. And yet Jesus said, I've been given all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, and I am commissioning you, I am choosing you as my son and my daughter to live your life in such a way that you make disciples, and in the process, watch this, if you'll make that your focus, and if you'll make that your primary life assignment, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you authority in every other area to make happen what needs to happen. I've been in church all my life, and I never heard what just came out of my mouth, ever. It's just, hey, let's be good people. Let's be do-gooders. Can I tell you? God doesn't need any do-gooders. <laughs> Some of you need to think, this is my kind of church. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, see, when I was growing up, it's like, hey, be a good boy, right? Be a good boy. My parents wanted me to be a good boy. Nobody was telling me, you have a mandate on your life as a son of God, Keith Craft, to change the world. Watch this. By reproducing the best parts of you, which are Jesus, in other people. And I share this with you because God put it on my heart early. And I want to just jump into this message because I haven't even started yet. 
this great commission. We've been chosen by God, authorized by God, given godly authority that we're not even operating because we're not thinking this way. You got to learn to be a great follower. You see, disciples are followers. Jesus, Matthew 4, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're selling insurance. You can see it there. Uh, they got a trucking company. No, it didn't matter. Put it back up there. It didn't matter what they were doing. He saw them doing their job, casting their net, because they were fishermen. They were doing their job. So they're, they're doing like we all do. We do our job. Look at the next verse. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll take what you do for your job, and I'll use it for my glory. So it doesn't matter what your job is. I'll, I'll take your job, what you're doing, and I'll make you fishers of men. So if you're in insurance, how does that work? Well, you're, you, you're, you're selling a product that insures people that if they die, what's going to happen? Or if some accident happens. Well, God says, I want to make you that kind of person to think about people's souls that way. So if you're in banking, what are you, what are you doing? Well, besides taking everybody's money. If you're in banking, what are you doing? You're giving people the loans that they need. I want you to take that same mentality and extend mercy to people and give them the loans that they need. If you're in excavation, it's like, I, I, want, you to, I want you to take what you do and I want you to understand that you're, you're taking what was foul or you're taking what was not useful and I want you to pave a way so that people can get to where they're going. And by the way, I want you to take that mind that you have for excavation, and I want to make you an excavator for me. You see, it doesn't matter what your job is. It's, it's what you're doing in your job. And so most of us, how we're focused on our job and how we're focused is in our family is it's my family, and it's my marriage, and it's my kids, and it's my job, and it's my money, and God's going, no, no, no. That's why you don't have any authority because the only authority that you got, the only power you have is to make stuff happen based on your limited knowledge, your limited experience, but all authority has been given to me. And if you'll understand that your life focus is to reproduce the best part of you in other people, I will bring authority in every area of your life. You'll become a fixer. You'll become a problem solver. And I'll use your business to show you supernaturally why I've given you the gifts I've given you. Come on, y'all. So Jesus would say this. You can take your job and use it for my glory. Praise the Lord. I don't know why y'all are laughing, but that's... Why should we be a great follower of Jesus? Because he's the one who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Watch this. And it's for our primary, most important life assignment to make disciples. And if I'll do that, he'll cause me to have authority financially. He'll cause me to have authority relationally. He'll cause me to have authority as a fisherman. So Peter, one night, he's fished all night. He hadn't caught one thing. And Jesus says, launch out into the deep. And Peter goes, hey, with all due respect, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I'm a professional fisher. You're not. You come from a carpenter's home. But if you want me to go back out there, and by the way, this is not the best time to catch fish. 
And he said, oh, by the way, I don't just want you to go out at the wrong time, according to you, but I want you to throw your nets on the other side. Yeah, you see, here's it. Let me tell you why I threw it out on this. Yeah, no, I know all that. Just, just throw your nets on the other side. Do it a different way. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, they catch such a haul, H-A-U-L, such a load of fish that the minute they threw the net over and did what Jesus said, they didn't just start, their nets didn't just start breaking, but they called all the other boats because there was so much and their boats began to sink. How would you like for your business to begin to sink? Because in the most positive sense, you've been trying to keep it afloat, but God says the only reason I'm bringing so much, I'm prophesying now, I'm bringing so much into your sphere that you're going to feel overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And if you'll do it my way, I'll bring authority, Peter. If you'll catch some fish for me, if you'll make some disciples for me, if you'll be a disciple, I'm going to cause your nets to be overflowing. Come on. I'm not just preaching a word to you. I'm prophesying. I'm prophesying. Why follow Jesus? Jesus is the one who said, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all power and all wealth and all wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So if Jesus, watch this, if he's received all power, that's all power and, and all wealth and all wisdom and all might and all glory and all blessing. And he says, I have this kind of authority to make you receive all power for what you need, all wealth for what you need, all wisdom for what you need, all glory for what you need. In other words, all the anointing that you need to do what I've called you to do. If I've got all the authority to do that, would you just focus on being my disciple? And by the way, being followable enough that you bring some people along. That's your life assignment. The standard definition of a disciple is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. It's a follower. It's a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of somebody else applied to Jesus. A disciple is someone who learns how to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace in their own life, conforms his life or her words or his ways or her ways to the ways of Jesus. Or you might say it, as others have put in the past, that disciples are themselves, listen, called little Christs. Do you know the Bible calls us little Christs if we follow Christ? Because we're following him, so we become his image. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. In another place, it calls us little gods. Let me just say, we don't see ourselves like that. We're struggling with our insecurity. We're struggling with what we're not. Or we're over-egoed because we think it's about us. No, listen, I am God's son. I am authorized by God to win, and so are you. You're God's son, and you're God's daughter, and you are authorized with all of heaven's power, all power on earth to win in every area of your life. But he says, all I want you to do is just shift a few things, Peter. You think it's about fishing all night. This is the part of the day where you don't think you're going to catch anything. You had your net on that side. Throw your net on that side. Now, watch. You're not going to get the glory for your brilliance. I'm going to get the glory because you know you just obeyed me. So we got to be great followers of Jesus. Mark 8, the Bible says, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, and he's saying to us today, 
Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Oh, in case you haven't learned the lessons of denial and you're living in a river called denial. You see, denial is by default or by design. Let me just explain it this way. When you get married, everybody that gets married, I talk about this all the time because I'm married. When you get married, you think, this person's going to make me so happy. Until they get to know you. And then you know what they're going to figure out? You're not making me happy, so I'm not going to make you happy. And pretty soon, what was supposed to be this one togetherness thing, when I start making it about me and what you're not for me, that's when I walk, baby. And that's what happens in marriage, on our job, in life. If we don't get our way, we walk. If we don't like it, we walk. But you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. And we walk. And let me tell you why God hates divorce. And, and I'm not saying this because if you're divorced for you to feel bad. Listen, God's a great redeemer. Come on, somebody put an amen on that. In fact, the, the great thing about God is when he restores us, he restores us in better condition than we were originally. So God, if you're on your second, your third, your fourth, I've got some good news. Weeping only lasts for the night. Joy comes in the morning. It might be a gory past, but God says we go not from glory to glory, but from glory to glory. If I learn my lessons here and apply them here, what they didn't get in that last marriage, they get a better version of you because you're becoming a better follower of Jesus. So put an amen on that. But watch this. Marriage teaches us how to deny ourselves. But Jesus said, start with me. Start learning with me. In other words, Peter, don't make it about your way. Well, I fished all night. I don't have all your reasons. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't agree with that. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, Jesus, but you're not a fisherman. You're a carpenter's son. You don't even got a job. <laughs> no, you know what his job was? His primary assignment was to make disciples. And you know what was amazing? He focused on making disciples. So when he needed money to pay taxes, he told one of his disciples, go over there and there's a fish that's going to swim up. You're not even going to have to catch him, and he's going to have gold in his mouth to pay all of our taxes. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus focused on making disciples. Seek first the kingdom of God, he said, and his righteousness, his way of doing things. And then something amazing happens. All these other things will be added unto you. If anyone comes after me, follows me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his way, his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Hmm. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Hmm. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I remember asking, somebody asked me one time, like, uh, how much money is enough for you to make? And there was one time in my life where I thought five million a year will do it. How many of y'all be okay with five million a year? But guess what? When you make five million in a year, you find out it didn't do it. I used to think, oh, five, you know, five men, that'd be good. I just said, no, here's, who cares if it's five million or 50 million? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and he loses his own soul? In other words, his focus was on money and how to make it, not on his greatest life assignment. And that was making disciples, not making money. You see, here's what every great entrepreneur knows. How many entrepreneurs or business owners do we have in the room? 
Here's what every great business owner and entrepreneur knows. If I can multiply myself, Mike, I'll sell 25% of my company and I'll set people in place and I'll make more with the 75% that I have now than the 100% I had because now I've multiplied myself and I'm not the only doggy dock in town. You see, every great entrepreneur, if, if something is going to outgrow you, it's going to be because you multiply you. And the kingdom of God's the same way. But see, we're focused on, like, we get that. I call it never having one point of failure in business. So in other words, we get that. It's like, okay. And so I teach people in our masterminds and, and business people that I coach and even pastors that I coach. It's a privilege to get into your best and highest use. And one of, the, one of the secrets to getting in your best and highest use, and you say, what is that? I'm talking about where you're firing on all pistons at all times. Not running on empty. That old church song. Running on empty. You know that song. Anyway, running on empty and trying to do it all yourself. The secret is multiply myself. And we can reach more. So when Josh was 16 years old, he comes to me and he says, Dad, this is the first time ever, I want to get me a summer job. I was really happy he said that. Yes, I want you to get a summer job. I said, but did you know you already have one? Like I was waiting on him to tell me he wanted to get a job. I didn't want to tell him, I got a job for you. I was waiting for a desire to be stirred in him. Why? Because the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. You can look that up in Psalms 37. Now listen to this. When he said that to me, I said, you've already got a job. So for the first time in his life, he realized, you mean this could have happened before? Yeah. You see, you've already got some kind of authority that you don't know you have. But because you haven't come to the Father and say, hey, by the way, what would you like me to do? How can I serve you better? How can I follow you better? Then you don't know it's already available to you. So guess what Josh's first job was? He goes, what am I going to do? I said, you're going to be with me. Well, what does that mean? You're going to be with me. So if I go to a meeting, you're going to be with me. If I go out to eat, you're going to be with me. If I meet with people, you're going to be with me. Yeah, but what do I do? You're going to be with me. And I'm going to get paid to be with you? Yeah, you're going to go everywhere I go. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I did that. Because I saw him at 30, not just sitting on the front row of this church, but I saw him at 30 someday helping me lead this church. So, so guess what my job was? To get him to be with me so I could make a disciple. So then 10 years later when he's 26 and Russ Wilson has just won the Super Bowl for the Seattle Seahawks and he's 26 years old and I sit with Josh and I said, Josh, you're 26. I said, I'm waiting on you to mature. God is waiting. Listen, 
on some of you to get what I'm saying right now. And if you'll just shift your focus a little bit and stop throwing the net on the side that you think, stop fishing when you think, but say, Lord, I want you to lead me and guide me. He said, that's what I've been waiting for. God, I, I know I've got a certain amount of money. I want you to lead me and guide me to know what to do with it. Well, you can start by giving me the first dollar of every 10. If you'll just do that, I'll open the windows of heaven over your life. I'll pour out blessings on you. You cannot contain. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. And church people are the worst. Does that really work? For those of us that work it, it really does. So he was with me. And then 10 years later, I'm saying, come on. And then about two years ago, about two years ago, when he was 28 years old, you know what I told him when he was 26? I said, you're not over anything, but you're in everything. Well, what does that mean, Dad? It means go be with people like I was being with you and just serve them and watch what happens. He goes, I just don't feel like I'm, like I'm doing that much. And I, I don't really feel like, I don't even like really know. Just go be with them and whatever they need, help them. And what was amazing is about two years ago, it clicked. And he realized that he was leading from the middle, not from the top down. He was leading himself as he was following me and following Christ in me. He began, the light began to come on. Come on and guess what? Now he's in a very significant role and in the future will lead this organization because he's got it. And watch this, not because his last name is Kraft, but because he chose to be my disciple. We've got to be great followers of Jesus. Deuteronomy 440, listen, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. I command you this day that it may go well with you. But not just you, but your children and anybody else that comes after you. Deuteronomy 5, 16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 5, 33, you shall walk in the ways that the Lord your God shall command you, that you may live and that it will go, come on, preach back to me, well with you. Deuteronomy 6, 18, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 12, be watchful and obey these words that I command you. Then it go, come on, well with you. I want to ask you a question before I get to Jeremiah the prophet, because he's a prophet. That's what he is. And we're about to prophesy some things. But how many of you want your life to go well with you? You want your business to go well with you. You want your relationships to go well with you. What is the message over and over and over? If you'll do what this book says, not what your daddy said, not even what what Pastor Key says. If you'll do what this book says, and hopefully I'll align what I tell you with this book, that you can hear the word of the Lord, you can apply the word of the Lord, you take your net, throw it on the other side, you start switching some things, you get focused on your life assignment, and God says, I'm bringing some authority down on your life to make miracles happen. To make miracles happen. Jeremiah 7 says, however, I did give them a command, obey me. And then I will be your God. You will be my people. You must walk in every way I command you. Please say it with me, that it may go well with you. And we're supposed to learn it early, but we don't. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Come on. 
that it may go. So, so let me just paint you a picture here. Listen to me. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all messed this up. As children, for some of us, we see the dysfunction of our parents. As children, one out of every three children, by the way, according to USA Today most recently, has been verbally, physically, or sexually abused. One out of every three. Over half marriages end in divorce. There's dysfunction all around. Watch this now. And as children, we're supposed to learn to obey and honor. Everybody say obey and honor. But our problem is our dad. Or we don't even know our dad. Or our problem is they couldn't get it together. They couldn't make it work. So why should I listen to them? And so as children, the enemy of our soul tries to derail us. And so that's the first place we're supposed to learn to obey and honor. Then watch this. Now we didn't obey and honor well, but we're ready to get married. Because we're old enough. And then all of a sudden, God gives this picture for marriage, which was the first institution he established in Genesis. A man and a, and a woman will, will leave their parents and they'll become one. They'll cleave to each other. And wow, it'll be heaven on earth. That's what you're not to me. That's what that song becomes. Why? Because we didn't learn obedience and honor as children. Then we get into a marriage and God says, the man is the head of the woman, the woman is the body. And then that's when, that's when some women, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, here's the thing. <laughs> but they don't read all the way. It's not about the man lording over the woman. It's about the man being over and being a covering and being an umbrella and being a protector and giving security and giving love and giving health and speaking life. Just like Jesus, who is the head of the church, does for us. And we're the body and the body and the head are supposed to work together. So you read on down in Ephesians and it says, oh, by the way, submit to each other. So after all, the man ain't that. You see, I'm a man under authority. And so if she this is what's so sexy, sexy to a woman. When she sees a man who submitted to God and honored. Go ahead and say it again. Amen. It's sexy. Thank you. Thank you. We're just having a moment here with my wife. She's right at the front. When a woman sees you honor and obey God, it attracts her to you. And I said it last week, it ain't this, it ain't the money. You see, what lasts is none of that. And so we, if we don't learn it as children, then we have a second chance to learn it in marriage or to apply it. And then if we don't learn it or do learn it, watch this, then the next level of authority is the police and the government and the president. That's where the wheels come off for some people because they Democrats to the core. They Republicans to the core. And so the devil wants to flip you at some point in your life, not in honor, but in dishonor. Watch this. So a curse comes on your life based on what comes out of your mouth that you don't agree with. Yeah, but here's the thing. No, 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 no. Then the next test is your job and the authorities in your job. Uh, it's, uh, don't leave. I'm just, I'm just joking. 
Go, go ahead and go use the restroom. I'll, I'll join you in just a minute. Anyway, say, so y'all better not get up. I will call you down. Anyway, I'm joking you, man. Please come back. Don't. <laughs> I want y'all to see something. This right here, what I'm telling you, is where we miss it. With our heart and with our mouth, we don't learn obedience and we don't learn honor. And so we have a problem obeying authority and we have a problem with honoring authority. Watch this now. And if you're not under authority, you have no authority. So then when you hit a problem in your marriage or you hit a problem in your business or you hit a problem in your finances, you don't have jack squat to work with because you're not under his authority. If you're getting that, say, I'm getting it. God wants it to go well with you. I said, God wants it to go well with you. I said, God wants, you to, wants it to go well with you. So a disciple, look in your notes, a follower of Jesus is a worshiper. I'm not going to hang out on that. I just want to say this. Jack Hayford said this. He said, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one who's worshiped. Now listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you right now. What is worship? It's not lifting your hands. It's not clapping your hands. It's not singing a song. Worship, listen now very carefully, is putting the right things in order in your life. So I am eagle. I saw her on Instagram and she won something competing so if I don't learn to worship him, guess what I don't do? I don't worship her. If I don't give God the right place, how can I give her the right place in my life? So if this is messed up, eventually I mess this up because I don't worship her. So you're supposed to worship your spouse? Mm -hmm. You see, as we worship God, we're in the image of God. And here's what we do. We esteem highly those that he puts in our life. And because we don't honor, we dishonor. And we don't give worthship to the right people in our life. Not only authorities, but the people that mean the most to us. So that's all I want to say about worship. Why, 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 do, we, why do we encourage you to put God first with your finances? Why on a, a weekend like this, forward the dream weekend, do we take one time a month to say, let's all give over and above and be intentional about it? So again, I've said this before. But the reality is, in your life, if you really know what your life assignment is, you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to be a great follower of Jesus. And that starts with being a worshiper that puts the right things on the pedestal in your life. You see, when the devil was tempting Jesus, he came to him in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And in one of the temptations, there were three of them, he said, hey... Why don't you just bow down and worship me? Now, if the devil showed himself to you and he said, hey, I am Lucifer. Hi. I'd like you to bow down and worship me. Not one person in here would go, of course. Because that's not what the devil was saying. That's how we read it. Here's what the devil was saying. When you don't have your life in proper order, you may not realize it, but you are worshiping me because you're not giving proper worth to him. So Jesus, why don't you just settle for less and not follow so close and just do your own thing? Hey, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. God will give his angels charge concerning over you. 
Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. He took him back to the Lord. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of not Jesus, my, the mouth of God. What, what, what am I trying to tell you here? That the same temptations that Jesus had are the same temptations for you have as a follower, and that is for you to believe, watch this, but not follow close. I'm a Christian, I'm good. No, God doesn't need that. He doesn't need do-gooders. He doesn't need good little boys and good little girls, people that do more good than they do wrong. He needs people who understand that they have the authority in heaven and on earth to reproduce themselves in the earth and to make a difference in the earth because of the glory of God that's in them. Here's the last thing. Don't just learn to be a great follower, but this great commission, learn to be a great leader. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He didn't say follow me and he didn't say follow Christ. He said, as the leader of this, he was talking to the church at Corinth, who was supposed to be the most mature church. And he said, listen, it hadn't been established like we have it established. So he said, here's how it's going to work. You watch me. And as I serve him, you do what I do. And then as the leader, I watch you do. So that's the pattern, three things. You watch me, how I follow him. Then you follow me, and then I watch you do it. And then you help somebody else do it. Isn't that, isn't that simple? Let me ask that question again. Isn't that simple? It puts a big responsibility on us, watch, not just to follow him well, but to lead ourselves well so that we create followable excellence for other people. So, is it Jason? So, Jason, here's the deal. How many employees you got? Out of, out of those 140 people, you have a couple that are really important. And the ones that are more important to you, it's not just because they're smarter than everybody else. It's not, you know what it is? Because they're following you closer than everybody else, and you depend on them more than everybody else. And so my obvious question is, do they make more than everybody else? And everybody else wants to be with them, but they don't understand. Everybody's got to follow you and follow what the company upholds as its values more than all the other people. And that's the key to making more money, isn't it, Mr. Boss? That's what a lot of employees don't get. And so they're just in it for themselves about their compensation package. They're not following the boss close. They're not being a disciple. If you choose to work there, you better, <laughs> you better learn what's important to your boss and do it or you're stuck. And eventually you'll be fired. Yeah, but I, no, 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 I'm just telling you. If you're not a great follower, you'll never be a great leader. I said, if you're not a great follower, you'll never be a great leader. So, definition of leadership. Leadership is the capacity of an individual, me, you, to personally grow and develop that creates an ability to empower others to do the same. So thus, for all of you that are new, that's why I started this church. I started this church, we started this church, a group of us, Rod and, and Pastor Sheila and several other people in the room that are here, uh, Sonny Lehman, who's in on the front row. We started, let me tell you, we started this church, listen, as a love-based leadership culture. I'm not saying this to be proud or foolish. I'm just telling you this, there has never been a church that specifically started as a love-based leadership culture in the history of the world. You might say, that's kind of a bold statement. No, no, no. I'm telling you the truth. 
Most guys start a church because they feel like they've got a call from God and they, they want to start a church. Am I, am I right, Jeremy? You've been around this your whole life, just like I have. So I got a call in my life. Let's start a church. What kind of church is it going to be? We're going to be charismaniacs. People are going to be jumping up and down. People are going to be falling out. The Holy Ghost is going to be the house. Anyway, it's like, it's like whatever, however you are, it reflects. And that's how most churches are or in a denomination. This is how we do it as Baptists. So listen to me now. Why did we start this church? Why did we start this tribe in the earth? Because God put a mandate on me to create great followers and great leaders for the glory of God, both in business, but most importantly, in the kingdom. And so that's why we teach the way we teach, to empower you, not just to preach you a good little one, two, three, buck on my knee. Anyway. What's the definition of a disciple? Let's take a look. Y'all get anything out of this? Come on. All right. What's the definition of discipleship? To become a follower of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second is important is the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's follow Christ that way. Let's, let's work on that. Next, seek to be the best that you can be for God with the desire to reach your full God-given potential. Only you can, can seek to be your best. I, I can't make that happen for you. I can't fix that. Only you can be the one that says, I want to be my best. Is there anybody here that you say, you know what? I just don't want to live my life. If I've got some kind of potential, I'd like to reach my potential. Is there anybody here like that? Okay, you're in the right church. If you're like, okay, whatever, then this might not be the place for you. But here, we want to help you Become the best version of you possible. I'm going to teach like that and then empower you to be that kind of person so that creates followable excellence. And if you walked in here working for somebody else, you stay here long enough. If it's in your heart to establish your own business, your own company, that will happen. I'm prophesying over you now. If you've already got a company, it's going to go and grow to another level in the name of Jesus. Why? Because we want to empower you to be a disciple that's wanting to be your best for God. And as you're your best for God, you're your best for other people. And people go, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. I'm focused on him and my assignment, my life assignment for him. What's the next thing to be a disciple? To commit to personal growth and development. <sighs> Let your light so shine before men. Why? So they can say, man, that's a good guy or a good girl. No. So that they will glorify God. What are you doing? You're making, you're having a mentality of making a disciple. I'm gonna let my light shine by my good works. Because I'm created for good works according to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So I'm gonna be that light, because Jesus said, You are the light to show others the way. Why would he call us a light? So we can show others the way. To be a living epistle of God's transforming grace. Because we live this thing out. You are our epistle written in our hearts, 2 Corinthians 3 says. Paul told the church of Corinth, known and read by all men. Do you know people are reading your life? I wrote, I wrote this when I was in college, and I put it, we had a little banister over my desk, and I put it up there to remind myself this every day. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do and words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. What is the gospel, the good news, according to you? Just to remind myself, I'm not just Keith Craft, husband of Sheila, father of Josh, Keelan, Whitney. I'm a living epistle 
written for men to read that either by my life God is true or God is false, God is real, God is not real, and my life is to be a living epistle of that. Do you know that one of the primary conversations in our family growing up, and it's one of the only reasons I can have my children work with me, is because we had these kind of talks. Guys, listen, I can get up and preach it, but if you as my children do not live it, it's not working here. So that's how I would even correct them with bad behavior. I go, look, with your attitude or whatever it is or, or a lie or whatever it was, it's like, listen, I've done that. I have a bad attitude sometimes. I, I've lied. I, I've, I've done that too, but we can't settle in that. We, we got to be our best for God. You're living epistles of what it means to be a craft. And I was very intentional with that. And in your family, it's important for you to understand that that's your first disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? To create followable excellence by living with a spirit of excellence. Again, that's, that's desiring to be the best you you can be. Not better than somebody else, but just living in such a way that, wow, if he can do it, if she can do it, I can do it. And then finally, what does it mean to be a disciple? Listen very carefully. To care and love others enough that you intentionally do life with them, not for the purpose of getting them to join your network marketing company. Not for the purpose of doing a business deal. This is how most men think. I'm going to go out and go golfing or go to the club or go whatever just so I can connect and we can do some business together. Listen, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you care and love others enough that you intentionally do life with them for this purpose, reproducing the best parts of you that reveal the glory of God through you. First Thessalonians, look at this scripture. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, next verse, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, the good news of God, but what's that next verse say? Read it out loud if you can see it. But our lives as well. So it's, it's, it's not just telling people about Jesus, knocking on the door and going, hey. You see, a, a disciple of Jesus is somebody that's a worshiper. Next in your notes, somebody who follows Jesus as a servant. When you serve others, you create excellence that can be followed. Martin Luther King had it right. He said transformation happens at the level of service. And that's even why we want to provide you opportunities to serve around here. We started as a servant leadership culture. Why? Because if you'll serve others beyond your pay grade and beyond your job, you will become the leader. Someday I'm going to record it, maybe in 2020, all the businesses that have been started out of this church through people just serving together. In the parking lot, they met somebody or somebody came here and for the first time. Listen, young people, they learned how to lead a team. Where do you learn how to lead a team? Most of these people who are business professionals have to go to seminars and crap like that. <laughs> Sorry. To try to learn leadership skills, you can learn it right here. Get a, get, join a team. Uh, listen, excuse me a second. I, I, that's why I wasn't going to hammer that guy because I thought I might have to go to the restroom too. But that's, I thought these guys might be back here. If some of the guys can hear me, some of the younger guys, come out here real quick. I want you to see who's serving back here.
He's 53. <laughs> Here's my point. I want you to look at the age. What were you doing when you were their age? Hey, if you, hey, listen, wait, wait, wait. If you went to church, <laughs> these guys have been here all three services. You think you might be looking at some CEOs, some leaders of, of some future titans, some presidents. You know what I call that guy? What do I call you every time? Mr. President. Every time I walk by him, hello, Mr. President. What am I doing? He's got that leadership on him. Hey, was anybody prophesying over you that you might be the next president when you were, how old are you? 15? Nobody was saying that about me. They were just hoping I made it. <laughs> how old are you? 14. 14. How long have you been serving? Since I was eight. Do you, do you lead a team? Uh, not yet. Okay, you don't lead a team, but you're back here, you're serving. Now, how old are you? I'm 16. This is the old guy. So, so <laughs> now what about you? I'm 16 too. You're 16. So, so why, I, I just wanted to give you a picture of the guys that I'm interfacing with backstage before the service that are committing their time. You say, well, that's why they're able to do it because they don't got a job. No, 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 no. They're following Christ. They're leading. And there's no lid on their future. Give them one more big hand. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. And that's just a few of them. That's just a few of them. I wish I could give you their name and you could watch them. Because it would be. You know. Because that's just like God. Oh, I know their name. And they're way ahead of the game. You see, a follower of Christ is a servant. So Jesus, again, last, last gathering with his disciples, we call it the Last Supper. We know he took, you know, that's when he said took the wine. And, and yeah, it was real wine. And he took the wine and he took the bread and he said, this is my blood and this is my body that was broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then all of a sudden, he's on the floor. And he's on his knees. And I grew up hearing about communion, but I didn't grow up hearing about this. All of a sudden, he takes a towel from around his waist. He starts washing their nasty feet. And as he's washing their feet, they're, they're feeling this. Jesus is like, why are you doing that? He gets to Peter, and Peter said, hey, don't do this. This isn't my picture of how it works. You're the, you're the king of kings. I mean, you're the leader. And Jesus looks in Peter's eyes, and he says, if you don't learn this... You have no part of the kingdom, and you'll never discover your part in the kingdom. I'll, I'm doing this to show you what to do. Get the dirt off people's lives by serving them. Fix some stuff they can't fix by serving them. So look what happens after he does this. John 13, 12 through 15. So when he'd washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? Yeah, Jesus, you washed our feet. Now, you call me teacher and Lord. How many of you would call Jesus Lord? Let me just see your hands. How many of you would call Jesus? Yeah, he's my teacher. I follow his teachings. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you, that's right, I am. If then your teacher and your Lord has washed your feet, let's just change this. 
serves other people, then you also ought to serve other people. And you'll fix a problem that, yeah, maybe they could have fixed themselves, but you're putting their dirty feet before your own. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. And then I love this verse. Next, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Wow. So a follower of Jesus is a servant. Edgar Geist, I first heard about him reading all of, I've read everything Napoleon Hill's ever written. But in the Napoleon Hill Foundation, you know, Think and Grow Rich, a bunch of books, but think and believe. If you, if you believe it, you can achieve it. But this is where I was first introduced to this, this man who became the people's poet. So I want you to listen to this. He wrote a poem called, I'd Rather See a Sermon Than Hear One Any Day. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are men who live their creeds, for to see a good put in action is what everyone needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hand in action, but your tongue is too fast and may run. And lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and high advice you give, but there is no misunderstanding on how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. When a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stands behind just to see if he can help him, then the wish grows strong in me to become as big and thoughtful as I know that friend to be. And all travelers can witness that the best guides today is not the one who tells them, but the one who shows the way. One good man teaches many men believe what they behold. One deed of kindness noted is worth 40 that are told. Who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which to everyone is clear. Though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. So let me talk to you just for a second. So everybody say, I'm going to give you mercy, Pastor Keith. And I want you to mean it because I'm about to. You know what I've been criticized most about in 18 years of this church? Trying to talk about my wife and our marriage. It's not perfect, but it's good. Talking about my kids and people thinking he's just bragging. Talking about how I was a millionaire by the time I was 40 and that I gave the first 50000 to start this church. And people say, oh, he's talking about his money and he's talking about what he's done. 
You see, in 18 years of criticism now, people think I've got this huge ego because here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, here's what I've done in my life. Here's my marriage. Here's my kids. Here's my finances. And here's your future. In fact, I'm trying not just to preach some stuff to you, but I want to live it. I want to show it. And I want you to do it because that's God's plan for your life. So you can criticize me if you want to, or you can follow me up the hill as I follow Christ. Let's go. Let's go. Let's have great families. Let's have great marriages. Let's have great businesses. Let's have great finances. And get the stuff off of us that thinks that person thinks they're all about that. Okay. There I said it again. I'm almost through. Y'all give me a second. How many of y'all have seen the new Avengers movie? It was a long movie, wasn't it? Didn't teach you one thing. Just went over a billion this last week. I wish in about a week we did about a billion with what you were taught here because we could change the world. Not just be entertained. You see, a follower of Jesus isn't just a worshiper. A follower and a disciple of Jesus isn't just a servant. But listen to me, a follower of Jesus is a witness. I give God the glory that in spite of myself, I say this as seriously as I can say it. In spite of myself, I have a great wife. I have a great marriage. But it's hard. In spite of myself, and I've said this for 18 years and for beyond that before I started this church, I had to learn to say I'm sorry as much to my kids as I've said I love you. In spite of myself, they turned out good. They made decisions for God, but they've still got funk. And I've still got funk and nobody's perfect. But listen, I say it over and over here. You will win in life if you give people something to respect because I believe that in leadership. And if you'll follow well and if you'll lead well and if you'll give God something to work with and he doesn't need perfect people. He just needs people that have a heart to say, God, I really do want what you want for my life. I want my assignment to be what you say my assignment is and I'm going to believe that you've given me the authority to make everything else happen. You see, only a disciple can make disciples. That's why we got to be good followers. So we can be good leaders. And all of a sudden, Jason, our employees aren't just employees, even though they may see themselves that way. But you know, you're trying to make them better. Not so they perform better for you, but so that their focus becomes, hey, what you do, you do for God. And if you'll be your best for God, man, you'll be, a, you'll be great at this company and you'll be great for me. You see, every good business principle and practice, the best practices in business are taken from this book. Honesty and integrity and what you sow is what you reap. And... A disciple is a follower of Jesus who is a witness. I wrote this this week on Cinco de Mayo. 
This is the month, this is the fifth month, by the way. I prophesied this on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, you could still get it. This is power month. May is power month. God's going to do some great things that you've been waiting for him to do. I'm prophesying over you. You develop a spirit of excellence when you seek to be your best for God by making a lifelong commitment to personal growth and development, by leading yourself with God's help to be the best you only you can be. You create fallible excellence and you gain the power not only to reach your full God-given potential, but this crazy thing happens, you become empowered to help other people do the same. Our motto at our church, we've got a vision statement, mission statement, core values. We've had all that for 18 years, but this is new and I want everybody to get it. This is what we're about. We love people into lifelong transformation. That's what Elevate Life Church is all about. We, we want to love people and care for people and serve people and be better. Our job is to love people. God's job is to transform them. In between our loving them and God transforming them, we need to be a light, an example, a living epistle for them. So Jesus, at the end of his reign here on earth, here's the last words that he spoke. <sighs> but you shall receive power. Everybody just lift up your hands. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be good husbands, good wives, good parents, good employees, good employers. Yeah, all that because you'll be my witnesses that'll make you a better husband, a better wife, a better employee, a better employer. And you'll be witnesses to me and who I am to the ends of the earth and people will want to be like you because you're more like me. Put your hands down. That was his last words. Sherman, Texas, it's the last thing. It was the last place in the world I wanted to go besides anywhere in Arkansas. And I was a youth pastor in 1984, I was 24 years old. And I had this thought in my mind, the youth group started growing, we had hundreds of kids. And I had this thought in my mind, I need to make disciples. And my first pushback in that church from church people was that I handpicked 15 people to pour my life into. And little Pastor Sheila and I had just been married for a year. And every Monday night over our house, we had these 15 people over for three hours. I'd eat with them, talk to them, we'd laugh. I, we would go on three-day fast together because none of them had ever been on fast. They were all young people. I'd show them how to fast, got pushed back from that parents, going, why are my kids not eating? I mean, they were older, weren't like 10-year-olds teaching them the Word of God three hours on every Monday night. 
In that group was a 20-year-old named Scott Uncle Back. God knitted our hearts. There was a girl that was in that group too, a girl that's now his wife. They'd come into my house every Monday night. I'd just pour into him, just love him. God knitted our hearts because God knew in the future, I had no idea that this commercial builder would be the one later who would oversee all the building of what God wanted to do that I had no knowledge about. I didn't ask God to become my disciple. Scott said, I want to follow you as you follow Christ. And I said, I feel like we're supposed to do something together. And we were trying to figure it out, you know, but it just wasn't the right time. We started this church in 2000. How old were you, Scott? In 2000. It was 18 years ago. 36. Scott's living in Sherman. I start this church in Frisco. He's driving however long Sherman is, 90 miles, whatever it is. And he's coming at 6 o'clock every morning, setting up on Sundays, setting up leading teams. Long story short, he not only married that girl in our youth group, <clears throat> but raised a young man who I think is, is Garrett here today, who became a Navy SEAL, who I'm his second dad, and I take credit for all that. And his other daughter just got her doctorate as a psychologist. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think discipleship might be important? You see, I had no idea. I had no idea what was going to come from this relationship. I didn't start the relationship because I knew I was going to build God a house in Frisco, Texas. But God very early put in my life what I would need and what he would need to advance his kingdom. That's how it works. That's how it works. I don't know what God's going to do with you, but I know if you'll make his great commission, your great life assignment, whatever you're supposed to do for him on this earth, he'll bring the right people in the right place at the right time and the right things will happen in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.